This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Joined today by somebody who you hear from a lot on this program. He's back after a really hectic week last week. Mr. Daryl Slater of NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media. Daryl, what's going on, man? Not too much. Things are quieting down a little bit here after a busy free agency period. So, yeah, as I'm sure you've mentioned uh, a lot here, the Jets are very busy. So we were very busy, but that's all right. You know, that's uh, helps uh, helps with traffic, helps keep us busy, and uh, certainly uh, always fun to have a lot of stuff to write about. So um, just kind of uh, letting the dust settle here, and, and, and the contract details are coming out, and everyone's sort of, you know, sorting out just where the Jets are in terms of who's playing where and w- what this team's going to look like in 2019. It should be an interesting year for sure. A lot of things have happened since last we spoke, Daryl, and we'll get to some of them in a bit. But first, let's start with the conference call that happened yesterday. What were some of the highlights? Yeah, the Jets had a, a conference call yesterday, and then, of course, Le'Veon Bell talked uh, last week uh, on a conference call of his own. And, you know, I'm sure you went over all that stuff. But yesterday was Jamison Crowder and, and Kalecio Semele and uh, Henry Anderson talked. So, you know, one of the interesting things that Henry Anderson talked about was he was a little nervous when he heard the Jets might be going to a 4-3 under Greg Williams uh, because last year the Colts traded him away when they went from a 3-4 to a 4-3, that he's sort of perceived to be this guy who can really play most effectively in a 3-4. He was relieved when he found out the Jets were staying in a 3-4, and of course he got $17 million guaranteed, and he's very happy about the whole thing. So that was one interesting thing that came out in Coleccio Semele. Uh, the Jets traded for him, obviously. He said he was surprised he got traded. Uh, but he's very confident that he can get back to being dominant. That was the word he used uh, after an injury plague late year last year. So he's really excited about the opportunity here to replace James Carpenter and to get back to being dominant. So I think he's got a ton of confidence in that regard. He should be an interesting guy to watch and a key player for this offensive line. And then uh, one of the other things he mentioned that I thought was interesting, wrote a little something about it this morning, was uh, that uh, uh, Osemele mentioned was um, the the running style of Le- Le'Veon Bell, how – how that will kind of impact with the way the running the uh, offensive line has to run block, and you know he talked about how Bell is such a patient runner that that the line will sort of have to um, uh, you know account for that, and it'll also give the those guys an opportunity to kind of keep their hands on blocks longer and push guys deeper uh, into the second level in terms of front defenders and stuff like that. So you know you, you have to block for the type of running back who's behind you and that's something that the, the Jets offensive line will have to get used to. So I thought that was a couple interesting things to come out of the calls. Uh yesterday Jameson Crowder didn't have a, a ton to say. He feels like it could be a weapon for Sam Darnold and all that, but uh you know he's you know he seems like a pretty articulate guy so Uh, I'm sure Jet Sands will be hearing from him plenty this year. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. A lot of pro days going on, including at Alabama, Michigan, and Ohio State, but the three biggest prospects from those schools are not going to be working out. Quentin Williams, who's recovering from finger injury, Rashawn Gary at Michigan, and then, of course, Nick Bosa at Ohio State. Nothing really to see here, right, Daryl? This is kind of a smart move for them. They've got nothing to gain. Not a big deal. All three of those guys are really, really good at the combine in terms of working out, and like you said, in the case of Williams, he's recovering from the finger surgery, so... Not a big deal at all that none of those guys are working out of the pro day. Um, they have you know nothing to gain. You know, might as well just stand on the combine results, and they all have really good film. You know, I'm, I think film still matters, right? More than a guy running a forty. <laughs> um, um, they all have really good film, and they're all going to be high draft picks. You talk about three guys who have a probably a legitimate chance of going in the top ten. Gary would be the only guy who's sort of a question mark there. And now it's just a matter of wondering whether Bosa falls to the Jets at three. And I wrote a little something on Sunday about that, like. Now that uh, the 49ers have traded for D Ford at number two, are they really going to tr- draft Nick Bosa? You know, let's say the, the Cardinals stay at one and the Niners stay at two. Uh, you're looking at maybe a Kyler Murray situation and then Quinn and Williams, which which could lead to another no-brainer pick for the Jets. I'm like the Cagnon at number three. So a long way to go for the draft, about a month or so for this all to sort itself out. But certainly Quinn and Williams and Nick Bosa are both options for the Jets, especially now with D Ford in San Francisco. Uh, I don't, you know, I can't imagine they take Rashawn Gary at number three, but uh, you know, he's a local Jersey guy, uh, and he's going to top ten pick, so he's topical. Uh, and I, but yeah, I don't think any any of those three guys are losing anything by not working out a pro day. I think a lot of people were reading into the fact that the Jets didn't have anybody at Alabama's pro day as proof that the Jets are not taking Quinn and Williams. Number one, he wasn't working out, so that's part of the reason why. And number two, the Jets aren't that stupid. They're not going to tip their hand. So even if somebody's not there, that doesn't mean that they're definitely not picking Quinn and Williams. It'd be kind of stupid to tell the world that they're definitely not picking a guy and inviting other people to easily guess their draft plans, right? Yeah, I think to... to... <laughs> To uh, say that the you know that they're not picking the guy because they weren't at his pro day is completely asinine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean they could certainly still pick him. What if it's Murray and then Bosa? Um, then Quinn and Williams is the, like the logical pick there at number three, right? Or you or you trade out of the pick with the Giants. So yeah, that was I wrote a whole huge thing about that. Like, what are they going to do at three? Dude? If Bosa is like this is why as you and I talked about, like they need to wait it out and see because if you don't want to trade out of the pick beforehand and then Bosa is there at three and you think, oh shoot, we shouldn't should have stayed. Wait to see who's there at three. If Bosa's gone, or maybe they maybe they think Quinn Williams is like the can't miss guy, whereas most people would view Bosa like that. Uh, what do you do at, at three? Right. So there's options. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think Quinn Williams would very much be on the board for them um, because they brought back Steve McClendon, but he is not a long-term solution in the middle of that defensive line. Let's talk about the guys that either came back or were brought in that were a little less high-profile than who they're going to draft at number three. And that, of course, is Brett Quale and Eric Tomlinson, both coming back on one-year deals for a very cheap amount of money. And then Tom Compton, the offensive lineman from the Minnesota Vikings coming in, and Daniel Brown, the tight end slash special teamer from the Chicago Bears. So what do we know about these moves? 
Yeah, so the Jets are kind of in the second wave of free agency right now. Um, Eric Tomlinson was not tendered as a restricted free agent, so he's back on a cheap uh, one-year contract. He's a blocking tight end. It was, you know, sort of be, you know, he's not even a guarantee to make the roster. So people are all up in arms about them resigning this guy. First of all, they didn't, you know, they don't. If you don't think he was very good, okay, fine. Like I mean, it's not like he was great, but uh, he's a serviceable enough player who can play in special teams. There's a reason they didn't tender him as a restricted free agent. They have a certain valuation on him, and. Uh, yeah, like I said, there's there's a chance he doesn't even make the team uh, because right now they have Chris Herndon and and Jordan Leggett and, and Eric Tomlinson and Daniel Brown as their four tight ends. So they're not keeping four tight ends. Uh, but, you know, Tomlinson's a depth player who can block, and um, obviously Herndon's the number one tight end. Brent Qualley's got experience as a, as a plug-in starter, uh, and he can be a swing backup tackle. And that's, you know, that's sort of what he is. And then Tom Compton sort of fills the Dakota Dozier role of backup guard. Uh, in, a term, in a swing role, he can play uh, multiple spots in the line. Um, and uh, it looks like Dozier, they're going to let him walk in free agency unless he wants, you know, unless he comes back on a super cheap bottom basement uh, deal. Daniel Brown, the other tight end, uh, he's really been more of a special teams player than a tight end. Uh, and then the Jets, as you'll remember, brought in Josh Bellamy on the first day of free agency another guy who is a receiver but is more of a special teams guy so they've they put a, a priority here on special teams they were first last year in special teams in dvoa and of course they lost uh, andre roberts and channel Catanzaro. and um these are a couple guys who on special teams they feel like and neville hewitt too they brought him back he's a he's a pretty good special teams player so um there you see some of these these moves that they're making on the second tier of free agency being moves where a guy can not only be a backup but can really contribute as a frontline guy on special teams. So uh, they've put a premium on that, the Jets have, uh, coming off a year in which they were really, really good on special teams. So I think that's it. Quali Thomas and Compton and Daniel Brown are the most recent guys who have signed. Yep, those are the guys that have signed. And worth noting, I spoke to Arif Hassan, who covers the Vikings for The Athletic. We were going to do a show on Anthony Barr, and then, of course, we're not doing one now because <laughs> there's no reason to do a show on Anthony Barr on a Jets podcast at this point. But... I asked Arif about Compton because obviously most of us are not going to know much beyond what we can look at and the stats at PFF and stuff like that. What he told me is that Compton was kind of up and down. He played okay when he was healthy, but he got hurt, never really recovered. He was bad in training camp, bad in practice, kind of a mixed bag. But I guess for a guy that's going to fill a depth role, like you said, a Dakota Dozier type, to have somebody who actually has a decent amount of starting experience, it's not a terrible move from the Jets' point of view, right? Right. I don't think you're going to be doing a podcast on Compton, so we can just get it all out of the way now. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, there's a reason the guy's a backup, certainly. Um, but he, you know, he, he probably will be an upgrade from Dakota Dozier. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in backup offensive linemen. So, um, we'll see. Um, the, the Jets know what, know what they had or didn't have in Dozier. And, um, you know, they got a guy here who started a handful of games. So, um, and then who knows? Maybe he might not even play at all. Yeah, maybe everybody stays healthy and he barely, you know, he doesn't play. So, uh, but I think odds are eventually you're going to have to play one of those guys at least a little bit in terms of a backup offensive lineman because of the injury rate on the line. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, 
and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Speaking of backups, a couple of backups coming in for visits. Trevor Simeon, who started a bunch of games for the Denver Broncos. He was backing up Kirk Cousins last year in Minnesota at quarterback. He'll be in for a visit with the Jets, possibly to take Josh McCown's spot as the backup to Sam Darnold. And also, Stefan Wisniewski, who's been around a bunch of teams. He's been a starter. He's been a backup last year. He started out the season as a starter, lost his job. Had a pretty rough year overall for Philly, so he was available. He comes in for a visit, possibly as a guy to look at for the vacant center position. What do we know about these two right now? Well, Simeon, the, the Jets were never going to get um, you know a top-end backup to come in here um, because obviously it's not a situation where you're competing for a starting job. So um, they, yeah, they, they would have been foolish to offer a ton of money to a backup quarterback. I, I thought you know Ryan Tannehill in a vacuum, like, depending on how much money he would have wanted, would have made a fantastic backup for Sam Darnold because he knows the system. He knows Adam Gase's style. I wrote this a couple of weeks ago. You know, he knows what makes Gase tick, right? So if Darnold's sort of like, what does this guy mean? Or what, is this, what does this mean in the system as I'm just trying to learn it? I thought Tannehill would have been a great addition. Obviously, the, the Titans traded for him, which I thought was asinine. <laughs> uh, but um, so he's out of the mix. And Simeon is a guy who started some games. He's certainly nothing more than a backup ultimately, which is fine because that's what, they're asking him to be as a backup. Um, I think I wrote this a, a few weeks ago. I mean, ideally, like Davis Webb would show them enough this spring that he would be the backup. But the problem is that they haven't gotten a chance to really evaluate him at all. There's no film on him in terms of him playing in regular season games. And so it's really hard for the coaching staff to get a read on on what Davis Webb can do. So it, 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 to roll the dice and go in with just Davis Webb, I, you know, I understand it would be perfect from a, from a cap standpoint and saving some money, but they just don't know. They don't, they haven't gotten a chance to work with him yet. And they won't until the like, first of April when off season workouts start. Uh, like they don't know what he has. And even when off season workouts start, the, the coaches can't necessarily even work with guys until later on in the, in the off season program. So they, they probably need to bring in a backup, a veteran backup quarterback. And I think Simeon would be fine in that role. Um, more important is uh, the center position. And so you mentioned the struggles of Wisniewski and look, this is a thing that could come back to bite the Jets, quite frankly. They did not get Morris. They did not get Paradis in free agency. And this has been an issue for this team for two years now. I mean, they tried to patch over, you know, they let Nick Mangle go, which is understandable because he was done. And that's fine. Um, you know, he had a great run. And I think people, I don't think Jets fans undervalued him or like took him for granted because he was such a visible part of the team and he was like you know a pretty outgoing guy so it's not like he was some center who just was out of the spotlight he was a prominent member of the community and all that stuff so i you know i think jets fans more than any fan base understood his value and then when they when the next year when they you know they tried to sell wesley johnson as the replacement and then then brought in spencer long i mean two guys who were terrible um, you can see the effect when you have an, an incompetent, and I'm not talking about like incompetent in terms of the guy's dumb, uh, but just his playing level is so much less than, than, than a Nick Mangold level or even a legitimate starter level player. I mean, not, neither of those guys is, starter le- is a starter level player in, in the NFL at center, and if they are, they're a bottom level player. So that's an issue. Like just talking to, you know, some guys in the locker room at the end of last season, you know, one of the things that kind of came out was that, you know, the line 
needed to get smarter uh, in terms of more perceptive. And a lot of that starts at center. And um, in order to, you know, it's one thing to bring in the skill guys for Sam Darnold, but I, I would say that you take it for granted, but again, I don't think Jets fans do. But one thing that's sort of a, less, a lesser sexy part of, of, of making a guy a really good quarterback at a young age is putting up a really good center in there to like help with the protections, to help the line and to help develop a running game. And so the Jets did not get Paradis and did not get Morris. And now they're looking at getting a second tier center. Um, and, and then what, you know, like, so I don't know. I mean, they're really trying to paper over a really, a, what is a really important position. It seems like, and I understand that you can only spend big at so many positions. Um, and I understand Paradis had injury concerns and all that. And, um, maybe they didn't want to spend that much on Morris. I think the bills got him for a really good contract, quite frankly, but, um, the jets will have a front row seat here in the AFC East seeing Morris work with Josh Allen and then seeing whoever they bring in work with Sam Darnold. And they better hope that whoever they bring in is a heck of a lot more successful at doing his job than, uh, than Wesley Johnson and Spencer Long were, were there. So if not, then that could be a problem. Um, so we'll see about Wisniewski. Uh, you know, he has experience, but like you said, he's coming off a rough year. I'll start at the center position and then we'll work our way back to quarterback. I think what you're saying is accurate. It sounds like every team involved in the Paradise chase was nervous about that leg. And so maybe the Jets were afraid to bring him in and consider him the solution. They wanted Morse, but as you said, the Bills put out a really nice offer to him. Now you think that the Bills got him for a pretty good deal. I guess the Jets had a price point that they were willing to go to. And so the Jets were kind of stuck at center. I think what they're going to have to do now is unfortunately bring in somebody like Wisniewski who wasn't good last year or even somebody like Josh Sitton who doesn't have any experience in actual games playing center although he's taken snaps there and done some stuff in training camp in the preseason and hope that they can hold down the fort and then maybe draft a guy in the third or fourth round and hope that that guy turns out to be a starting center. Unfortunately it doesn't seem like they have very many better options than that at this moment. That's pretty much where your read on this is, right? Yep. No doubt. I think, yeah, I think what I said and what you said sums it up. They they, they have to try to scramble to some degree here at, a, at what is a really important position. And who knows, maybe they draft a guy who turns out to be good, and maybe Wisniewski turns out to be pretty good. Um, but, um, you know, I think it's, it's definitely a reach to say that either of those things definitely will happen. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. As far as quarterback, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as expectations. You can't expect a guy like a Ryan Tannehill to come in here when he's going to have no realistic opportunity to start. At least with Tennessee, it makes sense because Mariota gets hurt a lot. And as I brought up on the podcast last week... You have a situation where Mariota is in the final year of his contract. He's going to be looking to cash out, but he hasn't really earned it. So we don't know what the Titans are thinking as far as keeping him beyond this year. With Tannehill, he'll get a chance to start more than likely because, as we said, Mariota gets hurt all the time. And plus, if he does well when Mariota's hurt, 
he might be the guy that sticks here or he does enough to get a chance to get a starting gig elsewhere next year. And I'll disagree with you on this, Daryl. I actually like the trade for Tennessee, and here's why. If you look at the contract, it's basically a glorified one-year $2 million deal for them because five of the $7 million is being paid for by the Miami Dolphins. So for me, especially if you're somebody that values the cap space, which obviously they do because they want to spend it in other areas, to be able to get Tannehill on a one-year $2 million deal, especially when A, he fits into the system well because he's a similar style quarterback to Mariota, and B, you know that Mariota has this injury history, so you need somebody that can step in, especially since... The Titans have been a team over the last couple of years who are in the playoff discussion all the way to the very end. And in fact, two years ago, went to the playoffs. I think that it's worth it for them to make a move like that. Yeah, I guess my thing was, you know, why not just wait for them to cut them? But the other flip side to that is maybe there were other teams that were in discussions for, for giving up a draft pick for them. What did they give up, a fourth-round pick? It was a fourth-rounder and a seventh-rounder for Tannehill and a sixth, I believe. Yeah, so to me, the, the sticking point was the fourth-round pick there. You know, that's a pretty high pick to give up for a guy like that. Obviously, you're getting getting a pick back, and you're getting a guy who you think can be, you know, decent as a backup. But I don't know. You know, to me, maybe you could turn that fourth-round pick into something more. But, but, you know, like I said, maybe they couldn't afford to wait for the release. And then, you know, like if he's released, you just sign into that contract that you got him for. But maybe, you know, there were other teams in on that trade. So I, I can certainly see the value. It just the draft pick is a little bit of a sticking point. But but all that comes down to, uh, you know, competition and a trade for sure. But like you said, in the end, he's not going to wind up with the Jets. And it probably wouldn't have been a good spot for him, even though the Jets surely would have loved it. And he would have been, I think, really good for Donald. Um, but they're going to wind up with... Probably, uh, you know, another guy like a Simeon or an Osweiler type, which is realistic, I think, and, and probably acceptable. Yeah, I agree. And as far as Tannehill, I think a lot of it comes down to if he had been released and was on the open market, A, there'd be competition, and B, you're probably looking at having to pay him between 7 and $10 million. With this trade, now you're only paying him $2 million, so there's a big difference there. And like you said, with Simeon, he's the perfect kind of backup. I know that he's not going to light the world on fire, but all you need is a guy with experience who's good enough to at least not embarrass you for a couple of games if Sam Darnold gets hurt, because let's be honest, if Darnold gets hurt for any real length of time this team's in big trouble anyway so you just need a capable hand and like you said Daryl the best case scenario here is that Davis Webb steps up in training camp in the preseason and beats out Simeon and then you have your backup but you cannot go into training camp with two quarterbacks on your roster who have a combined 12 starts in the NFL it's just not a smart move yeah, no, I agree. I think that, you know, they needed more of a safety blanket and uh, they're looking to, you know, they're obviously moving in that direction for sure. Last order of business before we go, Daryl, Le'Veon Bell did a sit-down interview with Jenny Vrentis over at SI. And if you haven't read it yet or watched the video, which is up now, I highly recommend doing it. But a lot of interesting things came out of this. Let's start with this. It sounds like he had had way more than his fill of Ben Roethlisberger, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's not the first guy to say that. Um... The, you know, ben Roethlisberger's had a ton of success, and he's very much an alpha personality. And you know, you have to be sort of that, you know, dominating leader type, um, and have an ego to 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 be that that guy. You know, to to a degree. Um, I'm sure Peyton Manning rubs some people the wrong way too by you know, with his sort of dominating personality. And you 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 need a degree of that certainly. Um, but in this case, and in the case of Antonio Brown, you know, you have a, t- a couple other guys who are alpha personalities and they kind of clash with Ben Roethlisberger. And one thing Le'Veon Bell mentioned also, you know, he didn't, 
you know, he didn't feel like the Steelers treated the players like, you know, human beings or whatever. He didn't let them be themselves or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I guess I understand that from a player perspective, but that's how a lot of teams operate, quite frankly. Um, you know, they're in the business of winning and, 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 you know, setting values on guys in terms of dollar figures and, you know, and, and, you know, there's a salary cap to deal with. So they have to, they have to deal with things in a cold business like way a lot of times. And that's just the reality of it. Um, so they have to answer to fans who want them to win above all else. You know, you can be a fun place to play and all that great stuff. You know, a lot of people have complained that Bill Belichick and the Patriots aren't always, you know, is not the most fun place to play. Guess what? They win a lot of games. They win championships. That's the objective. You know, like um, the Jets, you know, I think Jets fans would care a heck of a lot more about winning games than, than having players come in and like, you know, have fun. You know, obviously you want the guys to enjoy working in the workplace. Otherwise it's not conducive to a successful environment, but the Steelers have won a whole heck of a lot of games being the type of organization they are. Um, and, you know, it's not going to work for everybody. And here's a case of a high profile player that it didn't, didn't work for, but I, I don't think the Steelers are alone in, in being like a organization that deals with things in a cold business like way or whatever. And I don't think Roethlisberger is alone in, in terms of being a, a quarterback who a successful quarterback who is kind of a jerk, at least in the eyes of like his teammates. Um, and certainly, you know, if you remember that SI story from years and years ago, certainly he acted, you know, like that in public, I, I guess he, he's kind of changed a little bit. I don't know him at all personally, but, um, but, uh, you know, he has that re- reputation. I, I, maybe he's matured. I, I don't know. I've never dealt with him. So I don't think he'd be alone in that regard of being a guy who is, you know, sort of rub his teammates the wrong way, just that, you know, not every guy comes out and says it. And it certainly bells right to, to voice these frustrations. Um, but that's sort of, you know, that's sort of where I, where I see all that. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. If they were winning Super Bowls, he probably wouldn't have been bothered by this, but he says that everybody from the owners to the general manager to the coaches seemed to want to put a lid on him and not let him express himself and be himself. That's one of those deals where you kind of put up with that, like I said, if you're getting Lombardi trophies. If not, and you're having problems with the quarterback, and there starts to be a little bit of a dysfunctional culture there, that becomes an issue if you're not winning, and it sounds like Le'Veon Bell had his fill of that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think as an organization, too, you have to pick your spots with how restrictive you want to be of guys. Um, you know, it's they're your employees, and um, you can kind of basically tell them what to do to a large degree, but you also want people to, like I said, enjoy where they're what they're doing and to be, you know, in a functional, what they feel is a functional work environment that they can thrive. So there's a fine line there, I think, in, in being restrictive of, of players and, um, and all that stuff. And, and I mean, the bottom line is winning and, uh, and they did, they haven't been doing enough of it lately, but it's not like they're an organization that's been, you know, bad for a long time. They've certainly had a lot more success than a lot of organizations out there. So, uh, I think he feels like, you know, but here's the bottom line. He doesn't know what it's going to be like with the Jets. Like, he talked to Jamal Adams and Sam Darnold and other guys and Gase. And, you know, they, they're painting this rosy picture, I'm sure. But, like, he doesn't know. Like, he doesn't know that, like, I'm sure he knows. But, like, I'm sure he's not looking at it like, you know, he comes out and runs for 30 yards in the first game. People are going to boo him. Because people probably are going to boo him. Like, <laughs> some people will <laughs> if that happens. So that's just the reality of it. And I think fans in Pittsburgh maybe give these guys a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt than a place like Philly or New York. Um, and uh, so, 
yeah, everything. This is what free. This is why free agency is just silly because every place that you land is the greatest place ever, and every place that you were was just like utterly terrible. Like, and then every team that spent big is going to win big and free in, in the next year. You know, of course, it never happens like that. You look at teams that spend big in free agency. They're trying to paper over needs. And, like, what did the Patriots do this offseason? They sat back and collected compensatory picks, you know? And then you had desperate teams like the Jets and the Raiders who have drafted terribly trying to cover up their holes by spending big in free agency. So that's not that's not the – you can compliment free agency in the draft, but to throw everything in on free agency and expect – you know, I think most realistic fans get this and expect, you know, to that be the key to your success is, is silly. And, uh, you know, everything is always so rosy in the weeks after free agency. And, like, every guy's super happy to be there. But, like, let's see what happens when the rigors of the season start testing the, the you know, the legitimacy of a roster and start testing, you know, guys' um, patience and egos and all that stuff. That's what, that's what really matters, ultimately. And like you said, Darnold and Bell, I'm sure, painted a rosy picture. But they don't even really know what it's going to be like because there's a brand new coach in Adam Gase. <laughs> And yeah. Bell talked a lot about that, about how he really wanted to come play for Adam Gase. And the story here that's interesting is that everybody knows that Jamal Adams was very proactive about trying to recruit Le'Veon Bell. Apparently, Sam Darnold was as well. He just wasn't very public about it. But Darnold gets mentioned in this article as having tried to recruit Bell. And then the secret weapon, Curtis Martin. I actually got into a little Twitter argument with Gary Myers, formerly of the Daily News, about this, saying that I didn't think Curtis Martin would make a big difference i didn't see that it would hurt if curtis would call but i don't think he was going to be the deal closer well it looks like the jets were way ahead of us because gary was saying why aren't they having curtis martin call they did according to the article curtis martin had called him a couple of times four weeks before this whole thing began so real interesting tidbits there from jenny varentis what do you think overall it sounds like the jets put the full court press on him and that combined with the fact that they had the best offer on the table which bell talked about as well because he said he held out because because he didn't want to give the Steelers control of his body for a year. He wanted that guaranteed money, and he knew that if he came back for that one year, they were going to run him into the ground. All these things combined, it sounds like Bell kind of got what he wanted. He wanted to go somewhere else. He wanted his guaranteed money. Didn't get as much as he wanted. I'm sure he thought he was getting 16 or $17 million, which he says in the article, but still did better than any other running back as far as full guarantees. And the Jets got the playmaker that they wanted, and they put the full-court press on him, both from a contract offer and from the players recruiting him. So it sounds like it kind of worked out well for now. Although, like you said, obviously, if Bell isn't playing well, things are going to be a little different. We're in the honeymoon period now, but we know how these Jets fans can get, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely the honeymoon period. And we know that, you know, players can get frustrated too when things don't go well. But yeah, so I think the bottom line is the best offer. You, you kind of said it there. I mean, they could have had, you know, everybody, you know, the ghost of Leon Hess card, you know, calling this guy. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of something crazy and unrealistic. Probably not a good comparison. He probably doesn't even know who Leon Hess is. But, like, uh, but, you know, they could have had everybody calling this guy uh, from, you know, Christopher Johnson to, to Curtis Martin to Joe Namath to Ira from Staten Island. <laughs> but it wouldn't have mattered if they didn't have a competitive offer and they had the best offer. So that's bottom line number one. They had the best offer. And it only makes sense that they had Curtis Martin, you know, give him a call. And um, and I think with, with Darnold, he's certainly much quieter from a social media perspective. He's on Instagram. I don't think he's on uh, – he's not on Twitter or anything. But he's much, much quieter from a social media perspective than 
than uh, than um, Jamal Adams. So he's not really telling you what he's doing, but certainly it's a smart move on his part as a, as a leader of this offense to go ahead and make that call. And, uh, you know, if you go on his Instagram, it's just like he just puts, like, just personal fun stuff up there and then, like, a few things, videos of him working out. He's not saying, like, you know, here's what, I, you know, I'm going to, He's not discussing football strategy on there like like Adams is, which w- it would be great if he did. I think that would be that would certainly we'd love that from a reporter's perspective. But um, but no, I mean you have two two guys, one defensive leader, one offensive leader, who kind of approach things from the opposite end of the spectrum like that. But they're both kind of aiming for the same goal there, which is to get this guy in. And the Jets really wanted him, and I think they got him for a good price. Um, no guarantees into the third year. That was an issue with the Tremaine Johnson contract. Is it going to be an issue with the C.J. Mosley deal? I mean, they have guarantees into the third year. Le'Veon Bell, they can cut bait after two years if this is if this doesn't work out. Um, I think they got him at a good price, and um, and yeah, I think he could be really really helpful for this offense. I think he could do a lot of really good things for this offense. Um, and uh, I, yeah, we'll see if it's as ro- everything is as rosy as he thinks it's going to be. But uh, this Jets team is not fully complete yet. But I think they did a lot of good things here in free agency to move in that direction. Um, but, you know, like, like I'm sure you mentioned, they still have some holes. Real fast, Daryl, we forgot one thing. Your guy, the cat man, Catazero, is back. <laughs> a lot of people were questioning why the Jets would let Jason Myers go and bring the cat man back. The contract on Catazero is out, and I think we know why now, don't we? Well, I mean, yeah, there's a risk here, I think. Um, the, what Myers got in Seattle was excessive, I think. But, you know, good for him. That's, you know, nice guy. He got a lot of money. He got $5.5 million fully guaranteed up front. But basically, they're going to have a hard time cutting him after just one year. So he's probably going to get $8.1 million over two years, whereas the Jets got uh, Chandler Catanzaro at one year, $2.3 million. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't, if he stinks, you know, they could cut him before, you know, the season, which they just have to eat a $600,000 dead money hit um and, and they'll save 1.7 against the cap which is not ideal i think they'd love it love it if they have this guy does a good job in the in the summer sticks around at one year 2.3 million dollars i think they'd be happy with that but he had a rough year last year after doing pretty well with the jets the previous year i think the jets look at myers and said you know he had a good year last year after struggling the previous year so maybe last year was a fluke you never know i mean it's so hard to predict with these kickers from year to year um you know what's you know wh- whether the success was the fluke or the trend was jason myers trending upwards and cat and Zaro trending downwards or, or were those just blips on what was you know what was otherwise a career track that you know you can look at and say you know the previous year was more indicative so it's like it's just so hard to predict but it, the jets getting him at 2.3 compared to giving 5.5 or really it was it's really going to be 8.1 probably for for myers um it's an enormous savings at a position that you know they feel like that's probably a you know what Catanzaro got is probably a more reasonable salary for a kicker but we say that and you know maybe it's week 14 week 15 you need a big kick and uh, you're biting your fingernails a little bit if that guy's been struggling throughout the year and you're saying maybe we should have paid more money for the kicker but uh who knows it's impossible to predict but i think that's a fair deal for chandler catanzaro but uh, yeah, he needs to produce more needed last year and we will see if he will we'll also see what the jets end up doing the rest of their offseason including if they're going to be able to add somebody at center and some of the other positions of need as we head into the draft in late april daryl thanks so much for coming on really appreciate it we will talk again next week in the meantime why don't you let everybody know what you and matt stipulkowski have cooking over at nj.com 
Yeah, just a bunch of rundowns of the contracts that uh, are out there. If you want to read the detailed rundowns for Chandler Catanzaro got, Henry Anderson, um, you know, Matt has uh, the Jets moves in free agency. And then there's some other stuff up there about, you know, Leonard Williams, what could he get in terms of his next contract? And then I have a little rundown of the teams that spent the most guaranteed money. The Jets are right up there. And, um, uh, and then a couple things from yesterday's conference call, the thing I mentioned about uh, Kalechia Osemele talking about uh, Le'Veon Bell's running style. So a lot of stuff to look for. Appreciate, appreciate you having me on. Appreciate everybody reading, and uh, enjoy March Madness. If you haven't filled out those brackets yet, get them filled out now and get them in in time to get your wagers in. Daryl, thanks again for coming on. Make sure you read Matt and Daryl over at NJ.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.